right, if you'd like to read with me, it is in your bulletin, and it's up there too. The first reading is from Matthew 13, 31 through 33. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all through the dough. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God. The second reading is from Luke 14, 25 through 33. Now large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go out to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he is not able, will he send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace? In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Good morning, everyone. I'm very happy to be here. I thank you for the opportunity to to speak with you this morning. I do want to wish, Victoria already did it very well, but I do want to wish all the fathers out there a happy Father's Day, whatever kind of a a father you are. uh, May you be a blessing to those around you and uh, a mentor and a teacher. And so bless you fathers today. I also want to acknowledge that today is the holiday Juneteenth. Uh, This is a new holiday for me. But, uh, and I guess for a lot of people, but I am happy to be, have the opportunity to celebrate it. Uh, as I understand it, Juneteenth is a celebration of freedom from slavery. And wherever and whenever people are freed from slavery, the kingdom of God is at work. Uh, so, and that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the kingdom of God and what it means to be a disciple in that kingdom. Uh, so there's three things that I hope to do this morning. Uh, I, it is my prayer that God's word would be speaking to you, that the Holy Spirit would speak through me and he would be speaking into your hearts this morning. It is my hope that as I bring to you, as you know, Megan and I, we serve in the islands with our family, with our kids. And I, as I bring to you insights and experiences that we've had from the islands, that that would create a passion for his kingdom to come uh, in the islands, in you, so that you would have a passion and you would pray for the islands, that God would be working there and that his kingdom would come there. But it is also my hope that those same insights and experiences would help you to appreciate God's word in new ways 
and challenge you to think about what God is doing right here and how his kingdom is coming right here in the Bay Area. So those are the three things I want to do. And so I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to to help us to do that. Uh, Dear Lord, Father God, we thank you that we have this time together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would come now, that you would come and it would not be my words that are spoken, but that would be your words that are spoken. I pray that it would be you who is touching hearts this morning and turning us uh, to you and towards your glory. Uh, Please, Lord, help uh, people to have a passion to pray for lost places like the islands, that many would turn and put their trust in you. And then they would pray for lost places like the Bay Area, that many people would turn and put their trust in you. And we would see the kingdom of God come here in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so the first thing I want to do this morning is I want to teach you a bit of island language. You ready? Repeat after me. Habariza subuhi. Habariza subuhi. Habariza subuhi. Very good. You have just said good morning in the local island language. Um, When we first came to the islands, I knew that I was going to have to learn the language. And I knew that it was going to be challenging In fact, uh, the things that Victoria was saying this morning fit right in. I knew that it was going to be this big chore, that it was going to be hard, that it was going to be difficult. But if I wanted to make friends, if I wanted to have a life there, if I wanted to share the good news, I was going to have to learn the local language, right? Um, And so uh, I, I knew I was coming in with a challenging thing. I don't know that I realized how difficult it would be, how humbling it would be. Uh, to be an immigrant in another country, because that's what we were, we are, we are immigrants there, and to not understand anything that's being said to you, it turns you into a child, right? You cannot do anything without anyone else's help. You don't understand what people are saying. Uh, You have no choice but to trust people with things like amounts, how much things cost. Uh, There's a very strong possibility that people will take advantage of you, and you have no choice but to go through that And as you learn the language and experience that, it is a very humbling process. I also hope that you would think about that. I mean, the the Bible talks again and again about how uh, we should be kind to strangers. And so when you meet immigrants among you, and there's lots of them here, that you would be kind and think about that as people are learning language and uh, learning to get by in a different place. But it's not just that uh, I realized there was a cost One of the things I didn't realize was that there is an an ongoing cost. There is a continuing cost to learning this language. That it's not going, it's not something that I accomplish and I'm done with, but that it continues on. And so as I got deeper into the language, I came to realize that, hey, I can't just use this as something I do for part of the time each week or part of the time each day. Uh, This has to become something I, I eat and breathe. This has to be something I'm thinking about whether I'm taking a shower or I'm listening to a song or I'm praying, I need to be thinking about the local language if this is really going to do what I want it to do. And, um, you know, and the more I went into it, then I also started to realize that if I really want to learn this language, I also have to learn the culture, and that's going to change things about me. It's going to change my, my habits, my rhythms of life, uh, even some of my, the things I value. And so I, I came to realize that learning language was going to be this uh, big, not just one-time thing, but a big life-changing thing. Uh, for all the time I'm living on the islands, I'm always learning language. 
And I use this analogy to talk about what Jesus is saying today, that uh, being a disciple in a much deeper way is this long, ongoing process that we have to enter into with everything we have. I think oftentimes, I don't know about you, but when I've read this uh, part of the, the gospel, I get stuck on the first, he, he kind of has three mini parables or three little things that he has to say about being a disciple. I tend to get first stuck on that first one. And I miss that there are two other analogies that he's making, two other little parables that he has in there. But today I want us to and challenge us by looking at all three of those parables. And we will discover together that being a disciple means giving our whole heart. It means giving of all our effort, all our strength and all our mental capacity. Maybe that's not a surprise, but it's going to lead to three things. And we're going to answer three questions today. The three questions are these. What is the cost of being a disciple? What does it cost? Can we pay that cost? Do we have what it takes? And is it worth the cost? Is it worth it? So let's jump in. What is the cost of being a disciple? Let me read the first part again. It says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. I want to start first with uh, something that people get stuck on. I get stuck on it. That he uses, that he uses the word hate, right? And it's like, what? Hate? Hate my, my family? Um, other translations often soften it, or uh, less literal translations will soften it and say, by comparison, you should hate. And I think that's actually right to getting what the meaning is getting to. It's uh, Tim Keller, a famous pastor who has helped me to understand it better. He says, this is classic Hebrew rhetoric, to use hyperbole and comparison to make a point. And so what Jesus, Jesus is not telling you to hate your, your family. Uh, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. So clearly he's not asking for that, but he's using this, this rhetoric technique to make a really strong point that your love for him, your love for him must surpass that of your love for your family. Now, the thing is, though, I think we miss something when we read this because what Jesus was saying to his society and what Jesus says to island society is very different than what he's saying to this society today with those words. Because for, for the time of Jesus, for that society, for island society, to ask you to hate your family, to, to by comparison, put your family aside and to follow Jesus means so much more because in those societies, family is everything, right? So in the islands, to leave your family behind, this means loss of your housing, it probably means loss of food and resources. It's going to be the loss of contacts and networking. It well could mean you lose your job. It's going to mean you're going to lose many of your friendships. It means you're going to lose a lot of your possessions. Your status and identity are gone. It could even mean you lose your children. So when Jesus talks about losing your family to islanders, they understand it to be a heavy heavy thing he is requiring, he is asking. And I think we miss that here in the West, in America, because let's face it, that doesn't carry the same power, right? We can say, oh, if my family hates me, well, I'll get by without you. You know, my, my dad rejects me. Well, I reject you, dad, and I'll make it on my own. And there's a sense in which in America, you can 
do that because of the way society is, is arranged, right? Um, but so I think if Jesus was talking to this society, he would, have ref- he would have phrased it differently. I think he would have said something like this. He said, unless you hate your family, yes, but your career, your status, your hobbies, your passions, your loves, everything that gives you power, identity, and stability, take that all away. See, Jesus wants your whole heart. And so I want to ask you, that's the first thing I want to ask you today. Have you given your whole heart to Jesus? Or is some of it reserved for the sake of stability, a career, status? Jesus wants your whole heart. Jesus also says, carry your cross. Being a disciple means suffering. There are many kinds of suffering, and there are many suffering even right now here in this church. There's, there's persecution, but there's also mental, physical, spiritual suffering, and I don't want to minimize or disregard any of it. At the same time, I see that we tend to, to avoid suffering in America. We don't like it. We prefer comfort. And we even support each other in avoiding uh, suffering. And uh, don't get me wrong, I am not suggesting that you should go looking for suffering. I am suggesting you should go looking for Jesus. Because Jesus goes to places where people are suffering and he enters in. And so Jesus is calling us to that as well. In some sense, suffering is unavoidable. And so if you haven't suffered in a long time, why not? Could it be you're avoiding the hard places that Jesus might be calling you where he wants you to go? At the same time, I know that there are many here right in this church who are suffering. And I want to say some words. Actually, it's a a teacher and a pastor by the name of Dick Brogdon who has taught me a lot about suffering. His words have really spoken to me. Uh, He says that suffering is a gift because it refines, it strengthens, it focuses and firms us, it draws us closer to Jesus, it teaches us. But he also says that it's a gift only if we learn from it. It is possible for it to be wasted. We are not meant to suffer for suffering's sake. I love this quote of Brogdon. He says, if you do not have joy in your suffering... You are not suffering God's way. You are just miserable. If you do not have joy in your suffering, you are not suffering God's way. You are just miserable. There's a story from the Chinese church. As many of you may know, the the church has exploded in China. Uh, A a house church movement. It is fought against by the government. And so there was a a saying among them that uh, the, the seminary for these Chinese pastors was prison. You know, because they would go to prison and they would suffer and they would learn so much from that time that it would, uh, they would come back and they would be these mighty warriors for Christ and really people who understood and could pastor well. And so they'd say, the prisons are our seminary here. Uh, but there's a story about some young men who went back, they, went, they, they got put in prison for the, for the gospel and they came back and the congregation was ready to make them, make them leaders, make them pastors. And after a little while, they came and confessed to the congregation. And they said, 
I'm sorry, but uh, we did. We went to prison and we suffered, but we didn't suffer in the right way and we didn't learn from it and we're not ready to be leaders. Uh, so I, I think that's amazing that they, they had the ability to realize that, that fact, but it gets to this idea that suffering for suffering's sake, suffering, uh, if you just suffer, you can be miserable and it's not God's way. But again, if you do not have joy in your suffering, you are not suffering God's way. And so Jesus is calling us, our whole heart, every part of you, your identity, your status, uh, your family, calling you into suffering with him, calling you to go to the hard places. Will you join him? But that is where we usually stop. I feel like we, this is where I, I get stuck and I don't realize that there's more to this parable, this, this uh, passage and so but Jesus goes on. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees will ridicule you and say this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Building a tower means effort and perseverance. The funny thing is in the islands, we actually see this happen far too often. Unfinished houses Foundations that are crumbling. Why? People on the islands, they don't have access to bank accounts and stocks and funds and accruing wealth the way that we do here. So one of the ways to invest, to save your money, is to start building your house. But of course, the problem is if you have money for a little while and then no more comes for 10 years, by the time the next you know, iteration of money comes around, that foundation that you built has crumbled. And it, has, and it does bring shame to your family. That everybody can see, oh yeah, they started building, but they didn't have enough money to build. Um, but before we, we uh, laugh at uh, islanders, I want us to realize that the Western church does this all the time throughout the world. Um, I'm sorry if this, this uh, is hard to hear, but we see it that people come in, churches come in with the best of intentions, they come in with a lot of money, a lot of wealth, and lots of resources, and they bring it to uh, places of need. And sometimes they do great things, but sometimes they end up just tempting people there with opportunities. And um, the people, the, the ones coming from the West are unwilling to do the hard work of staying there on the ground and seeing how it plays out and, and how to really get involved, go into the hard places with people. They just come and leave things and go. And that leads that all that all that wealth, all that money that they leave behind often leads to jealousy and fighting, infighting. And it actually you see that that church crumble because uh, people have not gone with the long term view, not willing to persevere, not willing to put in the effort. And so we need to have a long term view of our walk with Christ. Being a disciple means a marathon mentality. It is an uphill battle. We have to have a stick-to-it-ness. We have been on the islands for 13 years, and it has been slow work. But we believe that it is important work, and it goes on, and we see that God is faithful, and he is doing things. And we see the foundations that are being built, and we see people growing. Uh, I've, we told you last week about Dunga. Dunga has made that choice to count the cost uh, and she understands because her family gave her that ultimatum 
return to Islam or leave the family? And she had to choose, do I love Jesus more than my family? And she has chosen to follow Jesus and she is counting that cost. And it's going to be hard. And it was hard initially, but now this is the third week and she has to keep going and she has to keep giving effort. And so do we, God is calling us to keep going. And what about here? The Bay Area is not an easy place to follow the Lord. Is once a week enough, enough effort to put in? That is not what Jesus wants. We cannot give just a few hours a week if we expect God's kingdom to grow. The third part of the passage goes like this. Suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? And if he's not able, he's going to send a delegation while the other's still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. This one's maybe the hardest. What, what is it saying? If you don't feel up to it, you can't fight the good fight, well, just give some money to charity. I, I don't think that's what it's saying. Uh, it, it, what I think it's saying is disciples need to think and plan and be wise and strategic. I think it's interesting that in this little parable, this king is outnumbered two to one. He's in the minority. We are in the minority on the islands, right? 99 to one. Uh, and I believe it's the same for you here in the Bay Area. You are in the minority, Foothill. You are in the minority. And so you have to be wise and thoughtful about how you approach others and how you uh, talk to them about the kingdom of God. We cannot come in with guns blazing. We cannot win by power. We need to be smart. We certainly cannot be complacent and we cannot be careless. Again, we're celebrating Juneteenth today, a celebration of freedom. And it's talking about how uh, there were still slaves even after the end of the Civil War. And it took months, it took till June, uh, for them to be freed, truly freed. And why was this freedom not fully realized? Well, because people of this country were complacent and careless. You know, the people and, and preachers during the time of Martin Luther King were telling him to be complacent. They said, give it time. He would not. At the same time, they were being careless. They were making little effort to change because it made little difference to them. They were careless with freedom and they were careless with the lives of others. And Juneteenth is a reminder that disciples of Jesus must be intelligent, intentional, and have a plan. Have we been complacent and careless on the island? Certainly. I've personally been complacent with planning. I can remember a day when one of my teammates came to me and she said she was so excited. She said, I have some women here who want to study the Bible with me. You're my team leader. What should we study? And I said to her, oh, well, we have uh, this resource over here. Or over here, you could try this. Oh, I got this book over here that's interesting. And I gave her a bunch of resources, but no plan. Because I really wasn't ready. And didn't think that was going to happen this soon. I hadn't thought it through. I was complacent. And I, I saw her go away with disappointment. And I felt that failure. And uh, I didn't want it to happen again. Have we been careless? Yes. Whenever we assume that our way, perhaps our American way, is the best way, 
for the islands, we're being careless. Whenever uh, we assume that what's worked in other places is going to work on the islands, we are being careless. And in many ways, we really cannot, we have no choice uh, uh, about being careful on the islands. If we are careless, we will get kicked out of that country. So for example, if we went and tried to build a church or preach on the street corner or do a vacation Bible school, guess what? We're getting kicked out. And so we have to be careful. Our approach is ground up, person to person, household to household, house churches, Bible studies instead of sermons, experienced leaders instead of seminary graduates. That's the islands, what about here? Are you complacent or careless at Foothill? What about complacent? Have you guys sat down together and talked about these things that I'm talking about? What works in this context? Are you planning together? Have you considered whether preaching on the street corner or person to person is the better way? Is youth night and a Bible study or is it better to do go and watch a sporting event? Is it better to invite people to church or is it better to meet them at a coffee shop? These are things to consider and to plan about. Have you thought together about how do you share the gospel or your testimony or how do you mentor someone or how do you disciple someone? Do you have a plan? Are you thoughtful about these things? Foothill, are you careless? Are you loving others? Are you putting in that effort every day? Are you going to the hard places? Are you furthering justice, righteousness, reconciliation? If you're careless here, you're not going to get kicked out of the country. But you will get kicked out of the conversation. And kicked out means isolated, and isolated means no impact for the kingdom. And I'm sorry to say that I see too many Christians in America being kicked out, not because of Christ. They're being kicked out because of carelessness. They're not being kicked out. They're being kicked out and they're calling it persecution. But they're being kicked out because of carelessness. So now we have the three, the three parables. Uh, Jesus wants your whole heart. He wants all your effort. He wants all your strength, and he wants your mind as well, every, every plan in your mind. And that brings us to this question, can we pay the cost? Do we have what it takes? What is the cost again? Your whole heart, all your effort, your thoughts and plans? The cost is everything, and that's what he says in verse 33. Those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So can we pay it? Do we have what it takes? No. And this is the gospel too. We don't have what it takes. Whole heart, loss of identity, suffering, that takes tremendous courage. Whole effort, the marathon, hopeless odds, tremendous gumption. Whole mind, that takes tremendous discernment and wisdom and intelligence and we don't have it. The good news, the gospel is that Jesus does. We don't have what it takes, but Jesus does. See, Jesus gave his whole heart. He gave up everything, his identity, his status, his power, and he came to earth as a servant. Jesus gave all his strength. It took all his strength to stay on that cross and die for us. 
Jesus gave all of his mind. You read those Gospels, you see that he was always on mission. He always knew what he was about. There's never a moment where he is complacent or careless. And because Jesus did all that, and because he rose from the dead and set us free from the darkness, he was able to send us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gives us new life and gives us his power so that we are new creations and we can do the things that Jesus is asking of his disciples, not through our own power, but through the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord. And that is the beauty of the gospel. It's not that we have what it takes. It's that Jesus has what it takes. It's not that we can do it, but that through the power of the Holy Spirit, mighty things can happen. And that brings me to the last part of my talk, which is, well, we said that the cost is everything. Can we do it only through the power of the Holy Spirit? But what? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Jesus came proclaiming the kingdom of God. And hundreds followed Jesus and became his disciples. He sent his disciples out and thousands of people followed them. In a thousand years, it was millions of people who had put their trust in Jesus and become his disciples. And now today, we can say that billions of people throughout time have, have put their trust in Jesus and become his disciples. Why? They've been transformed. They have experienced the kingdom and they hold on to that vision of the kingdom and they want it not only for themselves, but they want it for everyone. Why against such opposition in the face of suffering, why do we follow Jesus on the islands? I've been transformed by Jesus and I see my lost island friends and I want the same for them. I want them to be transformed. But it's not just that. The, the kingdom of God is so much bigger. And we lose sight of this too. And, and on the islands we talk about the Father's heart. What is the Father's heart for this place, for that place? What does it look like for his kingdom to come on the islands? And yes, it means his, his kingdom coming in, in individual hearts. But it also means groups of people, fellowship groups, house churches, in every town, in every village. It means in those, in those house churches, people are supporting and loving one another and showing joy and coming alongside just as they are doing right now for Dunga. We want to see that all over the islands. And as we think about that, we think about how that's, that, that the light of Christ coming in is going to transform marriages. Marriages are so broken on the islands. There's polygamy. There's promiscuity. Uh, it is just a mess. And yet we know that the power of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit coming in is going to transform those marriages. And transformed marriages will mean transformed families, children who know both their parents and who are loved by them and taken care of them. Transformed families will mean transformed communities. Transformed communities will mean transformed governments, government officials who don't just serve themselves but have a heart of service to others. It will mean justice finally in the justice system where judges don't just serve what is easy or convenient but want to do what is right and what is just. It will mean thousands saved from darkness and slavery and sin and despair. And as we think about that bright future, we say, yes, yes, it is worth it. We want to see the kingdom of God come and we want to serve with all our might to see the kingdom of God come on the islands. 
What about here? Do you have that same vision for the kingdom of God? What is the Father's heart for the Bay Area? Do you remember for yourself what it was like to be transformed by Jesus? Or have you ever seen that transformation happen in someone's life to see someone taken from darkness and despair and not knowing what to do with their life and being transformed and becoming a new person? I hope you have. (laughs) If Jesus can do that in one life, he can do it across a city, across a, a state, across a country. That's why we read that other parable of Jesus where he talks about the kingdom and how I love this parable. This tiny mustard seed goes in the ground and it becomes this great tree that even the birds can perch in. And I think I even love the second one better. This idea of dough. You know, you have this great amount of dough and just a tiny bit of yeast. Anybody who's made bread, you just put a little bit of yeast in there and it works all through the dough. And to think of you and me, we are like that little bit of yeast Working all through the dough. True, Foothill is small. I hope I don't offend you by saying that. Foothill is a small congregation. We're a small number on the islands, but we are the yeast, and it's going to work through all that dough. And that whole community is going to be changed because of what Christ is doing through us. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. Think about it for a second with me. Let's, let's imagine what it could be like. It would mean churches partnering together here more. It would mean cultural diversity, racial reconciliation. It would mean respect and love across political lines, graciousness in talking to one another. It would mean real dialogue, real listening, real understanding, real empathy. It would mean families transformed. It would mean loneliness eradicated. It would mean hatred Violence, school shootings, a thing of the past. Can you see it? Is it worth it? Yes. Yes, yes, it is worth it. And the Lord's kingdom is coming. I also love that place in Daniel where it talks about the rock coming. And a small rock comes and it hits the bottom of that statue. And then it grows and grows and becomes a mountain until it fills the whole earth. The kingdom of God is coming and there is nothing that can stop it. And we get to be a part of that. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. As disciples, we get to be a part of that. And it is worth giving your all for, giving all your heart, giving all your strength, giving all your mind for this. It is worth it, my friends. It is worth it. And so I conclude with just these questions again. Do you have a vision of God's kingdom coming here in the Bay Area? What is God's heart for this place? Have you thought about it? Have you given your whole heart to Jesus? Your identity, your status, your career, your passions, your loves, all of that, have you given it to him? Have you given your strength to Jesus every day, that marathon effort, willing to go and persevere and keep going even when it's hard? Have you given your mind to Jesus? Have you thought about what Jesus wants to do through Foothill here and now and how you're going to do that? We cannot be complacent. We cannot be careless. Have you prayed about these things? Because... Again, we can only do it. We could have a great plan, but if the Holy Spirit is not with us, it's not going to happen. So it must be from the Lord.
I love Psalm 127. It says, unless the... Uh, if the builders build, the, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders build in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchers watch in vain. And that is true for us. So uh, we need to pray that the Lord would give us the strength and the Lord would give us uh, the ability and the courage to give our whole hearts. And the Lord would give us the plans to go forward. So I want you to pray that with me right now. Father God, you are so good. You love us so much. And you want to see this place transformed. You love each and every one of your children, wherever they may be. And you want to see the lost come into the kingdom. And you want to see that kingdom come, your kingdom come on the islands. You want to see your kingdom come in the Bay Area. You want to see your kingdom come in our hearts even today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would show us today where we're being complacent, where we're being careless, where we have not given our hearts over to you, where you are calling us to go. Oh, Lord, it is worth it. It is worth it. We praise you. Give us a vision of your kingdom. Your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.